part of that too. That's why I think we get the biggest and shiniest stuff too, right? Because we want people to know, hey, I spent money on this, right? Because we're not accustomed of having it, but you want everybody to know, I got it. And something like insurance doesn't, people don't know it, people don't see it. That whole mindset is this ass backwards to be, to be real. It's the stuff you don't see that really matters, right? The tree that you see growing, that root system is what really gets it going. So we have to really switch our minds on, on what's really important, you know? Welcome to the Wild D Podcast, where our primary goal is to keep you informed and to be your central point of contact for what's happening around us. And anytime we get a chance, we like to give you something to think about. So if you're new to the show, we cover a wide range of topics from society to sobriety, from the culture to the vultures. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. In today's discussion, we meet up with my close friend, my brother from another mother, Alan Leslie of Six Figures to Bigger Figures. And we talk about his journey of making his network reflect his self-worth. Now, this is a three-part conversation, so let's stay locked in. We have a lot to talk about. And also, while you're at it, make sure that you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for your support, feedback, and your ratings. Now let's get into it. All right. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm extremely excited. Today is a beautiful day. Man, I did some great things this weekend. Joel, how about you, man? How was your weekend, brother? Man, good weekend. Like I said, everybody's still healthy as far as we know. Uh we're going to do some testing this week for COVID stuff, but um, right now everybody's good, so no complaints this way. Hey, you can't beat that. You can't beat that. Um, I tell you what, man, things are ramping up. Things are ramping up slowly but surely, so, you know, we got to, we got to keep our head on the swivel, make sure that we're doing everything to stay protected, you know. But um, along with that, uh, well, along with that physical uh, protection and protecting our minds, how your mind doing right now? My mind is good, man. I, uh, you, you know, I started my therapy stuff and I went through all six of my first sessions uh, and we're actually working on getting that extended just because I feel like there's still some work to be done. Uh, and, and I really like the progress that I saw. So so still just trying to become the best version of Joel. And, and as long as as long as I'm working on that, I feel like I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. So I'm good. It, I love it. So we already we just started talking about the physical therapy, right? You know, you know that, that's something that we're really big on. Body has to pull the mind, and the mind has to pull the body. Um, we're gonna switch it up a little bit, and we're gonna talk about some financial therapy. And I got a special guest with us today. That's Mr. Alan Leslie. How are you doing, my brother? Doing well, man. Doing well. Appreciate this, man. Appreciate this platform. Oh man, Love it. we appreciate you, man. It's gonna be. An amazing conversation. Typically, we talk about the 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 journey um, as black men, but also as men, as individuals, as black people as a whole. And uh, we talk about the mind, we talk about the body, but uh, we we wanted to talk about some finances. Mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. I, you know, I got some people out there that you know I'm blessed to be around and see them doing some great things. And I could talk about me, but I wouldn't give them the right structure. I bet on myself, and that's how you know I might be doing okay. Right. But there's a there's a structure to financial wealth and financial health as well. And I'm hopeful that you will be able to help the people out with some of that as well. So before we jump into anything, I want want to give people an idea of who you are Mm -hmm. and your background as well. So hopefully you can help us with that. Yeah. Tell everybody, introduce everybody like who is Mr. Alan Leslie? All right. Well, my name is Alan Leslie. I am originally from St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. 
been here in Nashville for about, let's say, 17, 18 years. So I'm probably like half Nashvillian, half Virgin Islander. You know, at some point, it's going to tip over. So <laughs> trying to hold on to it as much as I can. <laughs> you know, but uh, I'm an accountant. I'm a CFO uh, for a nonprofit. I, I am the manager men, member of uh, my own accounting firm, uh, Lessie CPA and Consulting. I am also, uh, I would consider myself a YouTuber as well on this platform. I created a voice uh, to document my journey from six figures to bigger figures, which is called just that, uh, six figures to bigger figures, which is my journey of how I inherited loss, regain, and will surpass a six-figure network. And uh, we, we'll get into that, how that even started, how uh, that really framed the person who I am today. It was something I was very much embarrassed about. And maybe in the past two years, I made a choice to actually embrace that and use that embarrassment, use that something that was a negative part of my life that I tried to hide from everyone and saw it really as a gift that I need to share with everyone. So people won't fall into that trap. People won't do the things that I did that was uh, pretty stupid. And hopefully give some of that guidance of how people can avoid these financial pitfalls, build wealth, do things the right way, uh, right way in air quotes, right? Do things what I believe is the right way with the experience that I've gone through, through my studying, in the accounting field, I am a CPA, I should mention that again. I am a certified public accountant. I'm also a certified fraud examiner. And want to document that journey of how I'm gonna to get to that, that seven figures because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close. I'm probably like 70% there. So I just wanna make sure, initially the idea was to wait until I get there to say, hey, I'm here now. Let me just go and talk about it. But I said, you know what? I know I'm going to get there. So let me stop before I get there so people can see the growth, right? So once, and you can go back, it's documented. I put the videos, it's out there in the YouTube universe, right? So it's out there forever. And we can go back and look, look at those videos, hear what I'm saying, see the growth. People can, in real time, understand the kind of the, the strategies that I'm taking to continue this, this, this process, you know? Now that's dope. And then, you know, the thing that I liked about it the most is the fact that you said, you know what? I know I'm going to get here and I'd rather tell the story then. And then you say, ah, you know what? Because I know I'm going to get here. I'm also going to hold myself accountable. That's right. To That's pick right. some people up and then make sure that I'm doing the right things because it's nothing like putting it out in the universe. That's, that's how I feel. Like, mm -hmm. if you want to go, you got to go out there and you got to reach it. But let me, let me also pull some people along this journey with Most me. definitely. Because I don't want to be embarrassed about me losing it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I lost it. I own that story. Right. But I don't want to tell you that, hey, yeah, I had it. I lost it. I got it back. And now look at where I'm at today. You know what? Before I get there, let me show you what that journey is like. And you're doing yeah. that right now. That's amazing. What's that, man? I appreciate that, man. Yeah, you know, so, um, I don't know if y'all <laughs> take a quick tangent, but I felt popping that new King's Disease, King's Disease Part 2. It's fire. But Lauren Hill has a line where she says, like, if you have that knowledge and you keep it to yourself, then it wasn't for you. You know, so there's a responsibility with knowledge. We're not supposed to hold on to that. And a lot of times I think we have the wrong approach with knowledge. You know, we can't, we want to hold on to it. And I get it. You know, the game is to be sold, not told. But there's an aspect of 
a gift that the universe has given to you. And once you give that gift, you will get more. You know, you can't be selfish with that gift. And so, you know, it's a charge to everyone listening as well. Like, everyone has their own gift, man. So we, we got to give it out there. We got to put it out there in, in the universe. I love it, man. I love it. And you know, the deep part about it is because it seems like the, your approach to how you uh, attack this journey, right, and this goal to be a seven-figure you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, all right, so <laughs> no, no, to be seven figures or to have that net worth, right? It, it, that is not something that I hear too much about. Like I hear people say, hey, I want to be, I'm going to be a millionaire. But to say, hey, look, I started off and I was okay, right? I lost it. I got it back. And now I'm going to further heights. I'm going right. further. I'm going right. higher. I'm going bigger, right? I, I think we should start from... I guess, like, what really made you go into this this career field where you say, hey, yeah, I'm a CPA, I'm a mm -hmm. CFO, I'm a CFE, right? There's a lot of letters that's associated with Mr. Allen Leslie on top of <laughs> on top of your business, right? So when I when I hear that, I want to know, like, where did this all come from? You know, funny enough, it, it all starts with my dad, right? Imagine that, right? Um, it, it, all of it starts with it. First, he was a, a banker. Now, he wasn't an investment banker. He wasn't a Wall Street banker because those guys make crazy crazy, crazy dollars. But, he, you know, we're in the small islands of St. Thomas, and he worked for a First Federal Savings Bank, which is a bank out in Puerto Rico. I didn't, I didn't even know it was still around. But he was like a bank manager. So I always want to be like most kids, you know, I want to be like my dad. So when people were asking me, what do you want to do? I'd say, well, I want to be a banker like my dad. And it must have, must have been maybe in elementary or something. It had to have been because uh, my father passed when I was 10. We, we can get, get into that. That's the second half of why I'm on this path. Um, someone said, well, you, you need to be an accountant. I was like, what's that? They said, well, you know, you, you know about money, you know, and you handle money for people, right? That's all they told me at that time. So you, you handle the money for businesses or for people. And I said, why would I want to do that? They said, because accountants make money. You always have a job. Bankers don't make money. And so I was like, I just say less then. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do accounting, right? <laughs> and that's why I just kind of, that really did it for me, really. And uh, the whole story of what happened, so my father passed at 10. He was always, he came from another island nation uh, by the name of Dominica, right? The Commonwealth of Dominica. And he was kind of, um, he came from very, very humble, humble beginnings, and he was seen as the one in his family, right? He, he had maybe 12, 13 siblings. And he was seen as the one in his family. He went out to, to St. Thomas, got naturalized, became a banker. He uh, got an associate's in accounting. I found that after he passed, he actually, he started in accounting as well. And, you know, he, he was the, the golden child. He was the one that was going to take the Leslie family to, 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 the next, to the next level. And he got some education, right? It's all about getting that education, being in the right spaces. So that allowed him to get some information. Information is power. And he decided to get a life insurance policy, which is something we all should do. And to have an ability to pass something on to his children. And I was, so he passed, actually coming back on the plane. The plane got lost from Dominica to St. Thomas, got lost on the Caribbean Sea, was never, never to be found again. And he left money for me through uh, as a beneficiary through this insurance policy. So at the age of 18 in the U.S. Virgin Islands, 
you can do anything. It's not 21. 18 is you're an adult at 18. And at 18, uh, I was just my mom, this attorney, and myself. And I got access to almost $200,000 just saying, hey, this is yours. You go forth and be a man with this. And I was way too immature to, to, to handle that type of money at that time in my life. And my mom tried her best to try to warn me what I was getting into. She, she looked me in my eye and she said, Alan, you know, this is blood money, not in the sense that it's illegal, but in the sense that your father had to die for you to get this money. So don't do anything stupid with this money. Remember that. And then I went and just mad stupid stuff with the money, right? And the, the crazy thing about that is I was studying to be an accountant in college and they still did stupid stuff with the money. So that's, that in itself is uh, proof that the education system is, is broken in many ways, right? Uh, they don't teach you to be self-sufficient. They don't teach you to be your own boss, to grow wealth, to manage your own money. They teach you to be a very good tool for someone else, someone else's dream. That's what I've noticed in my journey. So I was really well trained to be a cog. I didn't have the cognizance or awareness to say, hey, you should apply some of this stuff to yourself because you're your own business, you're your own enterprise. I didn't have that. Um, so I got the money at 18 and by 21, I was flat broke. Uh, I needed uh, a loan to go through that last year of college. I had a loan first year of college. So with those two loans, I was probably like $40,000 in college student loan debt. I had about $10,000 in credit card debt. I didn't own anything except for, I guess I had a car I was renting and had my first job as an auditor and maybe about 22, 23. And I just looked around and I was like, what did I do? I finally, I finally just woke up and, and looked at what was going on. I was like, what did I do? This is my mom told me not to do it. And I just did it. And I used to cry about that. I used to get really emotional about it. I, I, uh, my wife now, my current girlfriend, girlfriend at the time, I was like, I, I, I can't believe what I just did. I used to be so embarrassed to even talk about it. And so what I did, that essentially fueled me to become a successful accountant. Because now I'm like, yo, you're supposed to do better than this. So you have to do better. So that was motivation for me. So that was the first step, right? The first step was like, I was embarrassed. I was broken. And I didn't want to stay in that state because it's not a healthy state to be in anyway. And as I can't just stay, feel sorry for myself. It's time to finish the journey. I mean, you only have a first degree, you got to go. So that lit a fire under me. After I licked my wounds, it lit a fire under me. And I worked in my master's, got my master's while I was um, working, got my CFE while I was working, uh, studied, did the CPA while I was working. And as soon as I got my CPA, I was like, all right, I'm done with this job. I need a job that's going to prepare me uh, for something greater and better. And then I went to a really great company of a Caterpillar of the Earth Movers, Cat Financial, which to this day, I think was one of the best places I ever worked. It was a Fortune 50 company at the time where I spent, I was like there for nine years where I really got trained in what they would call like the corporate way, you know, business excellence. How do you uh, customer service? Uh, 
how do you set up processes and maintain processes and stuff of that nature. All while I was doing that side of things, I got on top of my finances as well. I created an Excel budget that I would stick to, to the penny. All right. So hold on, hold on. I got to stop okay. you right there. All right. Because, because this part is where it gets serious in the story. Actually, I was already prepping to ask you about it. So walk us through that budget because I remember those days, Alan. Like I really remember those days. <laughs> and and, and I, I was like, why are you doing this? You know what I mean? So <laughs> like from the time that you said, I have this motivation to get myself out of this hole. I have this motivation. I have this hunger for more. Mm -hmm. And then you created this budget. Walk us through not just what that budget entailed, but how you stuck to it. And if oh, yeah. there was an obstacle in sticking to that budget. Like, you know, how did you move around some of those obstacles to say, hey, this is my goal and I'm going to stick to it? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question, man. Um, it wasn't easy, um, but over time it became say anything you do for 21 days straight it becomes a habit so that was like once i did that um and i stuck to it i think one thing about me is uh i have um i may not be the smartest person in the room but i'm i'm probably the most dedicated like you, you're not going to um uh, i have a what was the word tenacity i'm gonna keep going you know so I'll see the challenge. I'll take a hit. I'll, I'll, I'll go down, but I'm going to get back up. So what I did is I said, all right, I have to put it out there, what it is, rip the bandit off. Let me see what I got going on. And I just put all my bills down. Just put it out there, face the ugly truth, and saw that the problem was I was actually spending more money that I was bringing in. Hence why my credit card debt kept going up because you had the money has to come from somewhere, right? Very humbling experience. Uh, very difficult in some ways as well because the lifestyle that I thought I deserved at the time, I couldn't afford it. So there was an adjustment that needed to happen. So once I saw it, I said, okay, I got to stop eating out because that was taking a lot of my money out. Stop eating out. Uh, I would try to prepare foods. <laughs> Shout out to my girlfriend at the time, helped me cook some stuff so I could carry food, you know, to work and not eat out. And that in itself is a little bit of a challenge because I'm I'm bringing my food and everyone else is trying to is eating out. And so they they they're teasing me, saying Island Boy's coming in here with his lunch pail, like he's a like he's an assembly mm -hmm. line or something. But yeah. you, you gotta know where you're trying to be, right? Like it's all about that delayed gratification too. It's something that I learned. At that point as well, like things that usually are of high quality are usually things that require delayed gratification. They don't come quick and fast. So the, that, that learning that was kind of the first thing, right? So in doing that, I also saw that I needed, well, not needed, but yeah, well, I needed more money because I was trying to aggressively pay off this credit card debt. So I actually went and applied to Dillard's. I was going to go work at Dillard's. So I was going to be an auditor for the state, uh, going to school, and then I was gonna go deal with on the weekend. Cause I was just gonna, at this point, I was like, I don't want any more handouts. There's no excuses. I'm gonna pull myself up. I'm gonna get this done. I didn't have to work at Dillard's. So I was that close to working. And then I got a raise from uh, at work. I got a little promotion. And then once I did my budget again, I said, oh, I actually don't need that extra that supplementary income. So I didn't end up doing it. But in any case, 
you, you it's like it's, it's like if people if you exercise it's like the same thing right you're going to fall off that horse so you you have to be forgiven you can't be too hard on, on yourself you just have to take the lick get up and go again so it, it's it's a lot of that because i definitely fell off the horse a couple of times but it helps when you have a goal in mind and the goal for me at the time was like get rid of this credit card debt at all costs you, you got to get rid of that. So that was the first thing. So I, at that point, I didn't say, you know what? I'm going to increase my, uh, I'm going to have this net worth of, of a million. It didn't start there. It, it just would have been too big of a journey, too big of a, of a mountain at that time, really. So I just took it in small little steps. And right now I need to get rid of this credit card. Debt. So that's what I focused on. And I hyper-focused on that. Uh, and then for me, because I'm a little bit of a nerd, obviously, because I'm in accounting, then it kind of became like a game for me, too, because it's like, oh, let me see how good I can do this budget. Let me see how good I can stick to it. Uh, let me see if I can beat it. You know, so then I, I got a little competitive with myself. And that, excuse me, that helped as well. Um, and then you feel good. You get that wins. Wins are very important. Man. So it's good to have strong, uh, big, aggressive goals. But it's also good to have somewhat of bite-sized goals as well, where it's like Pac-Man, where you kind of do the little bits, 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 bits until you get that big power pill and then you get, keep going. It creates like motivation. Yeah. You know, it's like it's you build that motivation, you you build wins on top of wins on top of wins. Your confidence builds. Then you start believing in yourself. You start to see the things that you envisioned and you dreamed about. You start to see it. And now you feel more confident in the process and you, you stick with it even more. So that that started happening, and it did help too. That uh, you know, as I was knocking down these things, getting this certificate here, getting this here, that I was getting more money too. That you know, mm-hmm. that definitely helps. The big thing there, though, is as I got more money with these raises and promotions, I remembered that broken kid that got the bag and dropped it. So I also I always reminded myself. You can't live beyond your means because you'd be in the same exact place. So you have to continue the same process. So I got a question about that because on our last episode for uh, Boy Meets World, we uh, brought in uh, Dwight. You remember Dwight? And which Dwight? Uh, little Dwight. Little, okay. little, my, my little cousin. My little, okay, little good, Dwight. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, we brought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout so out to him. Like, it's a couple of Dwight's. Yeah. So we brought <laughs> in little Dwight, and um, and then he was talking about his journey and and just uh, exercising and trying to put on muscle. Mm-hmm. And one of the life things that life lessons that he got out of it was uh, like, I guess a phrase saying, Hey, you got to get this work. We're going to get this work. Right. Yeah. So it was more competition. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm hurting right now or my muscles are sore, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. stay in this bed. Like right. I, I hear that you applied some of those same concepts from a comp- competitive standpoint with your finances. Like, okay, you know what? I'm doing okay. You know, I'm doing better. I'm getting more mm-hmm. money. I could probably take a step back, but I remember who I was right. at that moment where I said, I'm going to do this. And I feel like it's extremely important just to go back into that mindset to say, Hey, you know what? I may have made it or I have made it out of certain things, but I remember who I was when I was going through and I decided to make this decision to be a better person. How important was that for you as you look at, this growth because I, I guess it's understated and I really want to dig into that mindset of the importance of remembering where you were in order to continue yeah. to build on that. 
Yeah, it's like a um, couple, couple references to that, right? Uh, you remember Jeremy Shockey from uh, oh, yeah. the Giants and the yeah. Saints? They said uh, once he lost, I mean, I'm not doing this. This is a little dramatic, but he was a dramatic fellow. Uh, he, he ate some dirt after he lost because he never wanted to forget the taste of, of defeat. So, so he wanted to make sure he remembered that and he, he can hate it and fight that feeling as much as he can. So something like that, right? Like, I knew that it, it's, it was a serious pain, but even talking about this right now, and when I was 20, in my 20s, I couldn't talk about this because I would just break down. You know, so it's, it, it was such a, a pain that uh, it, it went from a fair, to be honest, right? A fair of even getting mm-hmm. back to that, that broken state to now it's like a strength for me now but it, it started from just you know you can't you can't be here but you, you you can't you gotta do better like you're supposed to do better and then this this underlying pressure of like your father was tasked they um my grandma made sacrifices so he can go to high school because they saw him as being the one mm-hmm. and then i'm his i'm his only son coming through and it's like it's almost like that pressure kind of falls on you too like you you can't stop right you, you just like you can't stop like you have a responsibility not to stop hmm. right so that that kind of drove me as well it's like no matter you just you got to keep going you, you got to keep going you, you know don't abandon what got you here i think it's important you know? because while you're while you're saying that i also um over this week, past weekend i listened to a message from somebody that said something along the lines of like you got to want it for yourself right mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and while there's a lot of things that I've achieved because I wanted it for myself. I've also felt a greater responsibility in doing it in order to either sometimes I'm going to be honest with you, just because of my personality is to prove somebody wrong. Right. Or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. I, but somebody says, Hey, you're consistent with your content. You're consistent with what you're doing, Dwayne. I really like that. I really like that. I really admire that. And I say two things, Hey, I got people to prove wrong and I got people to mm-hmm. prove right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, like, I think yeah. it's a mixture of both. And basically, from what you're saying, I mean, it, it sounds 100%. Like, I'm not sure if you had a good relationship or a relationship with your grandmother, but it sounds like, hey, she sacrificed. You know that she sacrificed right. for your father. And then you are uh, your father's child, right? You are a product mm-hmm. of that sacrifice that your grandmother made. You have to right. make it happen, right? And you I, have to, like, yeah. I love that, man. Hey, one more yeah, thing you that to. you um, you touched on that I I had to circle back on because we haven't spent too much time talking about it was just life insurance. And I feel like, at least in our community, oh, yeah. that's one thing that isn't really talked about because I guess people feel like they want either one, they want to live forever or they don't want mm-hmm. to think about life after they pass. And at right. least for me, I made a conscious decision before I even had kids to say, hey, like number one, I don't want to. I don't want to have a funeral. Like at least I don't want to be put in the dirt. <laughs> That's just my thought mm-hmm, process. I don't mm-hmm, want a casket, mm-hmm. but uh, I want you to take some money, party with it, and then the rest of the money I want you to live comfortably. I, I set my family up to where, if I die, you don't have to worry about sure. anything for you the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, um, and, and hopefully, uh, every everybody else out there makes some of those similar decisions. But just from your standpoint. And some of the things that you may have experienced, like, I guess you could speak to some of the positives of life insurance, but also from our cultural standpoint, like, why is that something yeah. that we don't do for the, for the most part? I, 
I think we don't do, first of all, I mean, I obviously am a fan, fan of it or a believer in it because I'm a product of it. And if, if my father didn't do that, I wouldn't have that awareness, right, to be honest. But uh, what it is, is historically, being that the socioeconomic status that I come from and like some of my counterparts come from, it's one that there, there isn't a waste or you know you want to make sure you, you want things that are tangible. I need you know we need food, we need clothes to go to school, mm-hmm. you know we need things that we can touch and feel. And insurance doesn't feel that way because it's very delayed. It's so, it's so delayed that you don't even touch it. You someone else does. Right. And I think we have a, a hard time coming to grips with that because we don't have the time or resources. I mean, this is the thought process, right? I don't have the time and resources to be putting money away for something I'm not going to see. I'm not going to see or touch. But you have to think bigger and beyond that. You have to think legacy, uh, which shout outs to you for doing that. Shout outs to my dad for, for doing that. Whoever put that bug in his ear, mm-hmm. right? We, we have to, it's all about that delayed gratification. And it's there, it's, it's, a, it's a tool that um, it really and truly, it's inevitable. Like we all, we're all going to go, you know? So if we're going to go, might as well you, you know, right. you know, and it's, it's almost like, especially if you're a fat, you're the head of your family. I want to get into all that. Huh? <laughs> ladies coming after me, you know what I mean? But if you, <laughs> right, right. But if you leave if the house or, or yeah, you yeah, are right. a big you, contributor you a to, yeah, there you go. Yeah. If you have a family, you're a family man. Um, you know, I always felt like if I'm going to have a family, I got to take care of my family. So if I'm not physically there to take care of my family, like they're going to be taken care of. And that gives me peace of mind. So we have to really get a, past that stigma of not being able to touch and feel things right away. Yes, we want we want the shiniest stuff too, right? First of all, if I keep, before I keep going, mm-hmm. can I curse on here? Because I'm not curse. Man, you if I can't. Do you let me know? Brother, speak freely. <laughs> you, let me know. you let me know. Speak okay. freely, man. This is this is. You know, it's, it, hey, listen. Whatever it is, if it comes out natural, that's how we want it to be, man. All right, cool. Yeah. Bad, bad. It's just trying to make sure, man. I don't know how to say anything. Yeah, I just don't want you to curse if that's not your normal vernacular. And then, like, ah, man, it sounds like this was first time. I don't want that. To... <laughs> you want people nah, to nah, know nah. I spent yeah. money on this, <laughs> right? Because if you're not accustomed of having it, but you want everybody to know I got it. And something like insurance doesn't, people don't know it, people don't see it. And that, whole mindset is is actually is, is ass backwards to be to be real you know uh it's just, it's the stuff you don't see it's that true. really matters right the tree that you see growing that root system is what really gets it going so we have to really switch our minds on, on what's really important you know life insurance you know we, we just have to get understand that um mm-hmm. it's a sacrifice but it's a worthy sacrifice it's a worthy sacrifice you know, you're almost you you're put in a position for a reason and it's almost like a, re, you're a responsibility for you to leave things better than how you found it so you think about it like that and this gives you an opportunity to do that now as far as like the types of insurance like whole life insurance i don't mess with that because i think whole life insurance is shit but i mess with term insurance because that's the real deal like, to me I, i'm not and i might offend some people with the whole life thing I don't bang a whole life insurance because we could get into that in a whole different story. But at least you have to at least get term insurance. It's cheaper. You don't need that permanent insurance stuff because you can make way more money on the market 
than what whole life insurance tends to, um, what they attempt to free to do with the whole life insurance. And they tell you it's a good tax benefit and it's a reposition of cash. They have to tell you it's a reposition of cash because they know if you do the math on it, you see the returns are complete shit. So they don't tell you like, um, they have to tell you, they have to phrase it in a different way. But, and it might be true. Here's before I get off my, my insurance tangent <laughs> with that, right? It is true that it is, there are tax benefits with permanent insurance. That's for sure. But that is if if you have a whole bunch of cash and you just sit in a whole lot of cash and they're giving the cash away so I could let something grow tax-free, so I could diversify and do this and do that. Then there, let's talk about some permanent insurance. But if you're trying to grow and you're trying to grow your net worth, you're trying to be a first-generation millionaire, you don't get time for that. You mm-hmm. gotta put your money in stuff that's what's working. So that's what I'm talking about. Drop drop knowledge. That's what it's all about, man. This is this is the financial therapy. Uh shout out to Joe for for the body and the mind. Hey, so I'm I'm gonna do uh one more step back and, and go into the background just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So uh shout out to you. Uh graduated from HBCU. If you it's, uh, Fisk, yep, you know, uh, big shout out there. Um I feel like it's important because I don't see, at least in my journey and in my uh, career experience, when it comes to finances, when it comes to accounting, I don't see too much representation of mm-hmm. our um, our black population. So with that, I wanted to just dig into what that may have looked like um, at Fisk. Well, you know, first, like uh, it being a historical black college university, the majority of the student body, you know, they were black. So we have representation, generally speaking. But in accounting, it, we probably had like three or four accounting majors. So it it, it wasn't, it was a path of, uh, <laughs> of resistance. Mm-hmm. It was not a path of least resistance. And for some reason, for me, it, it, it motivated me more because it was kind of a bit of a, it seems like, well, this, this seems like it must be a challenge because not many people are going into it. So I got to go into it now, right? I, I got, I have to prove to myself. I have to prove to others, like, yeah, I can do this. If someone else did it, one thing I, I can't stand or what really motivates me, if someone else did it and they look like me or, or they, they bleed just like I bleed and they breathe just like I breathe, then hell, I, I could do it too, right? So mm-hmm. I said, it was a motivating factor initially. Um, and I, I kind of wore it like with a, in a with a sense of pride and in a kind of self-centered kind of way. Like, yeah, I'm going to the path of these, that folks are afraid to go through there. Yeah, that's me. I'm doing that. Um, it, it started to, and then at Fisk, the upper level accounting courses were actually done at Belmont, which is a majority um, white university. And that was a bit of a culture shock. And then the only black students there were the students that came from Fisk. So then I started to kind of really get a, a peek into the world of what's going to be accounting. So it's not going to be a lot of you where you go. Uh, but then it was still motivating in the sense because I'm like, just because our backgrounds are different. I came from the Virgin Islands. You were here in America. You're white. I'm black. That doesn't mean, you know, this accountant can't get this work for me. Right. right? That, that doesn't mean you're better than me. So it motivated me there again. So it's just a motivating factor. Okay, if I'm the only one, then so be it. And it kept me going. It, kept, it was like a fuel that kind of burned in me. Um, but the thing is with that, 
is uh, when I got in the corporate environment and I started getting older, I got in my 30s. You know what they say, like in your 20s, you kind of like some bravado, a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. You just kind of like, you yeah. know, you kind of thugging out, like, whatever. Yeah, I'm here. What's yeah. up? Like, you know, you yeah. gotta, <laughs> but, you know, I got in my 30s and I have my, had my daughter and I have my first child. And then it started to get to me when I looked around, I didn't see much of me. Then it was like, yo, like, like what's up? Like, why, why is this the case? And to be, you know, being completely honest on this platform, uh, that broke me down in my 30s, to be completely fair. Was it like I, a moment of reflection or are you saying like, okay, like I'm here, right? And maybe it's the, like you said, bravado or the, uh, the, the need to go against the grain or say, hey, you know what, it's me against the world. I'm going to make it and I'm confident in my abilities when you're in your 20s. But when you get to your 30s and you're looking at, okay, you know what, I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at, I'm, I, there's, there's more levels to growth. Maybe there's something that's systemic that exactly that is pushing our exactly. black population away from learning about accounting and finances. Uh, like, walk me through that. You know, I wouldn't say if there's something systemic in the accounting department that's pushing us away. I, I'm not aware of it. To be fair, I don't think I see that. I think if, if anything, accounting generally is uh, very structured, very. Uh, tight you know it's it's um, there's not a whole lot of wiggle going on there you know so generally speaking black or white you know yellow brown whatever you got to be wired a certain way for it right you got to be wired to like hey these are the rules and the i gotta follow the rules you gotta make a, a rule follower so that kind of gives you some insight to me as a person right i am a rule follower uh i, I if you see me on the in, in, in casual wear I put off of an appearance because I'm from the Virgin Islands. It's a survival tactic that, yo, I may not be, I may be a little rough on the edges, but I'm really not. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I'm, really, like, I'm, like I'm really like a cone ball. Like I'm really a square. Um, but so you, you have to be kind of wired in a certain way. And I think maybe that um, rigidity is probably why you may not see it as much. I, I don't know. Right. I, I'm, I'm just kind of guessing there. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure. But I know in, in, far in, in the corporate environment, I'll tell you what, like there is a certain way that they expect you to behave. And th- this is exactly what it is. I know exactly what it is, why I had that breakdown. Every, I think every black person does this. You got your uh, work personality. You got your outside of work personality. Code switch. And- yeah. yeah, yeah, you gave exactly, and you don't you don't blend those, no, and, no. and so the pressure I think in accounting is probably for me a little heavier because you speak to just regular Joe Blows, no matter the race, they'll tell you accounts are different. This like your accounts are just like stick with the rules. So then that added pressure of like rigidity and stick by the rules, stick you got to do things this way, it mounted on me heavily. Because I was really getting to a point where I was like, yo, you are really not yourself. And I'm looking around at my counterparts and they're their selves. Mm-hmm. You know, like if like they're like, they're talking about all their personal life and it's all accepted. You know, they like dressing corny. I don't like dressing corny. 
Like, you know, they like not having fashion sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Those are the yeah. sneakers you really, you really gonna wear those sneakers for real, for real? You know, <laughs> do I have to wear those too? You know, so they really like, at some point, like, yo, I don't want, I was like, I didn't want this for my daughter. I don't want my daughter to not be who she is. Right. And it, it's, it's great right now. I think we're going through like a renaissance right now. Like, catch me before I go off on the tangent, but I think we're going through a renaissance right now with black professionals. Black people with money, you see Jay Z's and whomever else, where you know Jay Cole's, they they refuse to comb. They they just they lock in their hair, doing mm-hmm. dressing how they want. And some people are like, yo, why are they doing that? Well, they're doing it because they can, mm-hmm. right? It's all about normalizing me and my hair. There's nothing wrong with my hair, you know. I remember once at uh, the job I was working at, uh, a higher person. He told me, and he was a white guy, and I don't, he didn't know what he did, but, you know, it, it, it made me feel some type of way. He said, hey, uh, he said, I'm a good old Southern boy. If it was up to me, I'll have a bus cut, and, you know, I'll come in here with overalls, and I'll just be a good old Southern boy at work. But I went up north, and I had to change my accent to be, kind of be more Midwestern and more, like, uh, you know, East Coast, which is fine. You know, we, we could do that. Then he said I had to get the good, the old good old boy haircut, which I grew it out and I comb my hair to the side. And I'm like, yo, I can't get a good old boy haircut. So what does that mean <laughs> for me? Does that mean I'm never going to be in your position? You know, and so that that was the first time I started feeling like, yo, this might be this whole trying to conform might be off or not. It became an issue for me when I looked around. I was the highest uh, my position. There was no accountant. That was my position that looked like looked like when I left that corporation. And that definitely it played. That wasn't the main reason why I left, but definitely played into why uh, I made a change. Big thanks to Alan for joining us today. To learn more about Alan and everything that he's up to, we linked all his information in the show notes. We value good conversations and good relationships, and this is one that we'll truly cherish. So why not reach out to him and tell him that you enjoyed the episode and what you enjoyed about the episode. And while you're at it, please share the podcast with your friends and your frenemies. Because whether it's news, entertainment, health, or wealth, everyone's dosing something. Come and get yours as we aspire to inspire until we expire. Till next time.